He said to me, you turkey, that will just goof them up more. That's what my dad said. We were talking about conversations I had early on as a pastor. This is my dad, Daniel Martin Millitzer. He's in heaven now. In his working career, he was an insurance agent. I have this sign to remind me in my home study. It says, you're a faithful insurance man. My dad was casualty, a property casualty insurance. And I had just started as a Lutheran Brethren pastor. Being in the Lutheran Brethren was new to my family. And so when I went to the seminary, that was our introduction. And so when people would ask me about being a Lutheran Brethren pastor, they would often confuse Lutheran Brotherhood, a former insurance company. And so um, after correcting them several times, I began to just go with it and just say to people, yep, we sell insurance and we have churches, and uh, let them sort that out. My dad thought that was kind of mean, but I thought it was kind of funny. Bethesda is a part of a network of churches. Uh, we're not real big in the United States and Canada. There's probably about 125 Lutheran Brethren churches, but we're much bigger in uh, Chad, Africa, Cameroon, Africa, Japan, and Taiwan, and that's intentional. Historically, the DNA of this network of churches is about global missions. It started, if you don't know this, it started in 1900 with five churches in the Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Wisconsin area that um, were influenced by a revival, a revival in Norway. And so these five churches pooled their resources together to send out missionaries and their first missionary couple to China, pre-Mao Zedong, pre-communism. So the reason why I tell you that is because it's not too much of a jump for us to talk about mission and joining Jesus on his mission and what he wants to do right here in the U.S. And we've been looking at a picture. You might remember this picture that is on the Chukalata River in Honduras. You'll notice that the bridge is kind of at a goofy place because it's not going over the river, right? And it was an illustration that the river has moved. What happened was, if just to recall this, in October of 1998, Hurricane Mitch came. And over a period of several days, the hurricane was a Category 5, and it dumped 75 inches of rain in those areas. And because of the mountainous areas, the river moved, literally moved. And this illustration that we've seen several times is an illustration of the influence of the local church, like us, in that things have changed. Our culture has shifted. Many have walked away from the faith. Many have never heard the gospel or the good news of Christ. Confidence in Christianity, or at least those that are advertised as Christians, is not real good. And many people don't really want anything to do with the local church, they see it as unnecessary in their spiritual journeys. But then, but God. But God breaks in. Incidents like Friday night, night to shine. Incidences that are happening right now as we speak at a revival at Asbury College and Seminary in Kentucky, if you're not aware of that. But God. God has a plan. Good thing our Heavenly Father thought about it long ago and he has a plan, and you're invited. And that's the name of this message. This message is entitled, Joining Jesus on His Mission, His Plan, and You're Invited. And what we're going to do is we're going to look today at two scriptures, and we're going to drill down into those two scriptures, both places that 
this, the scriptures take place, you could actually pin, pin the location on a map. We're going to be in Greece. That's where we're going to be. Our first passage of scripture that we're going to take a look at is in Athens. And there we pick up a discussion that our friend the Apostle Paul is making. There's a series of discussions that take place, and there's just one that's recorded in Acts chapter 17. And then the second verse is also Paul. And Paul now is addressing another town in Greece, the town called Corinth. It's a seaport town. It's a wealthy town. It's a milieu, a milieu of mixed messages, especially when it comes to worship. And we'll see that Paul uses this word temple, and it's connected with the backdrop. And understanding that backdrop is really helpful. And finally, where we're going to go is we're going to get real practical with the invite. The invite has long on-ramps, and it's really for any follower of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews 10.24 is uh, one of my favorite verses, and it says, Let us not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but all the more so, and encourage one another. The word encourage literally means to spark. I use matches to start fires, and sometimes gasoline, sorry. But some people start a fire like rubbing two, two stones together, right? That's the word. Encourage one another, stir one another on for love and good deeds as you see the day approaching. So that's what I hope will take place. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to rescue and save us from our sins. Jesus is the proof of your kindness and patience to us. Jesus came to save women and men from the penalty of sin and rebellion. And Jesus died to make dead people alive. He rose again. Your son rose again and not only rose, but in that he conquered death. And Father, we thank you for the patience that you have given to us, for a chance to know you and be forgiven. Your son is perfect God and perfect man. And he held those two natures together in himself. So I pray today that you would give us ears to hear what you want to say and hearts that are receptive to your prompts. And as a church body called Bethesda, we pray that you would help us to be eager to respond to your plan and your invitation. Nothing could be more exciting than joining you in this one life we have. On seeing more and more people, individuals, families, couples respond to the good news. The song is true, Lord. This amazing grace, how sweet is that sound that saves wretches like me and like us. So I pray that you would advance your name and fame and that through broken and imperfect efforts, your name would be glorified. That's your specialty. You use weak people, broken people, sinful people, and then fill them with your Holy Spirit and bring good news to those that are far away. So bring revival here, Lord, we pray. Bring a thirst and may we get out of the way. All God's people said, amen. Well, I want to encourage you to grab a Bible and grab an insert. And if you're watching online, we're delighted that you're joining us. I want to encourage you to go to our website and download it. It will help you get more out of this message. I'm really sure of that. 
So the first thing that we want to take a look at, the first point of this message is this. His plan, you're invited. His plan is already determined. Let me read that again. His plan is already determined. In Acts chapter 16, it's on page 953, if you got there. In Acts chapter 17, we read about Paul being in Athens. And this is just an incredible encounter that he has. But one verse in particular that we're going to land on is verse 26. So let's set it up. Beginning in verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him, and some of them asked, Why, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Aragopolis, where they said to each other, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. And you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we'd like to know what this means. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening of the latest ideas. One thing we can pull away is this. Remember who you are. Remember that this is not the world that we're ultimately going to live in forever. As a follower of Christ, we don't live and then die. We die and then we really live. Paul's DNA, his worldview, his understanding of things, he realized that he was living in a world with idols all around. Notice what he says in verse 22. People then stood up in the meeting of the Aragopolis and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very things you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And watch how he challenges and watch his tone. The God who made the world and everything in it is not the is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And this is the ver- verse that we're going to drill down in. You ready? Circle verse 26 and underline it if you want to. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out or other verses, translations say determined. He determined their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So let's drill down into that and how that relates to God's plan. Verse 26 says determined. The word means to be decided beforehand and it emphasizes the intention of the assignment. It's not random or it's not just luck. It's not just we got fortunate. It's been determined by God himself. Now there's a small tweak here, and as you look at that, and if you put that word under a microscope, you'd find that the tense of the verb, or the timing of the verb, is what's called perfect. It described as a a completed action in the past, which produces results that are still in in effect all the way up to the present. Let me repeat that. It describes a completed action which produces results which are still in effect all the way to the present. So let me give you an example. It goes like this. Let's just say you had a long lost 
forgotten rich uncle and you got this in the mail with your name on it from your lost forgotten uncle and you thought what's in the envelope your inheritance and you opened it up and you went I always wanted $500 in Star Wars Monopoly money this is great but if it was an inheritance from something long ago and it had your name on it it would still be good yes yes that's what it means to be determined and look what the Bible says different translations use it this way it talks about allotted times and assigned places this translation uses appointed times and boundaries appointed times means kairos relationships friendships neighbors assigned places means present boundaries they are not random you might be the only christian in your department you might be the only christian in your family you might be the only christian in your workspace you might be the only christian on your floor and the lord has determined that in the book of job job chapter 14 there's two different verses job 14 verse 5 and then 14 14 it uses these words listen to these words the same idea a person's days are determined you have decreed the number of months and have set limits one cannot exceed verse 14 job 14 14 if someone dies will they live again the answer is no all the days of my hard service will wait for my renewal to come so we're reminded by Jesus's good friend Peter he writes these words let's read them out loud together on your market set read the lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think no he's being patient for your sake he does not want anyone to be destroyed but wants everyone to repent did you catch that he wants everyone to repent now some of you might be thinking yeah but pastor i don't see god working in someone's life so let me give you just something that's been really helpful to me I've referred to it before in the past. It's the Engel Evangelism Scale. It comes from a man by the name of Dr. James Engel, who taught at Wheaton College outside of Chicago. He taught there for 18 years in their uh, communications department. And what Dr. Engel had observed and used his PhD in studying how people go through a process of spiritual maturity. There's a process of spiritual maturity and so he developed this it's not perfect but I think it's helpful. He said people who are far away from Christ initially begin to be aware of a supreme being and they have no knowledge of the gospel. The next step towards the cross is they have initial awareness of the gospel. The next step is an awareness of the fundamentals of the gospel. The next step is the grasp of the implication of the gospel. The next step is a positive attitude towards the gospel. which happened by the way on Friday for sure then they had a personal recognition of their need for the gospel then they had a decision to act on the gospel and then they had repentance and faith in Christ and they came to know the good news this scale where people are at i don't know but the lord does 
I've shared this before. It's been so helpful for me. It's been a heart posture. There's a question that I want to be more sensitive to, asking this question. I wonder what is that person's story rather than looking at that person and going, what's wrong with that person? Do you see the, you see the few clicks? Everyone has a story. Where are they at in that scale? Only the Father knows. And he's asked me to cast seeds all over the place. The verse that I read uh, in, um, that, that I read talks about the fact that God has determined. But there's a reference to one man. That one man, that's in verse 26, from one man, you see it there? That one man is Adam. And he made all the nations. We all came from Adam and Eve. There's a connection there. Human history, we all have that DNA in the fall. But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, there was another Adam that came. There was another Adam that came. The first Adam became a living being. The second Adam came the living spirit. And there's a second Adam. And if you're looking at me going, I've never heard of a second Adam. Well, you actually did hear that a couple months ago. In heart, the herald, the angels sing. The fourth verse goes like this. Come, desires of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's concrete seed. Bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now of face. Stamp thy image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. So how does the second Adam work? Well, that's our second point. His plan is this. His plan's already in place. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. It's on page 981. You'll notice the context as you flip over there. It's just to the right. You notice the context, the Apostle Paul, who was having this discussion in Athens, now writes to Corinth. It's a seaport town. It's a wealthy town. He writes these words in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. Do you see the repeated word that's used four times? It's the word temple. So let's just step back a little bit and understand temple of that day in two different ways. One, Corinth knew about temples. Corinth was littered with temples. The ancient Greeks had the temple of Apollo. They had temples to Escapolis and Hermes and they had sanctuaries to Athena and Poseidon and to Zeus and to Jupiter and Heron. But the most prominent temple was one to Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the god of love and beauty and pleasure and passion and procreation. People worshipped in the temple of Aphrodite in a sanctuary and it was all about wantonness and decadence. And there were many people to help carry that out, many women that gave their lives to that. In fact, so much so that they went after people of wealth and status to worship this God of Aphrodite. So there was always an income source. That was the temple experience of those in Corinth. When they heard the word temple, they had to know about all the temples that were in Corinth. 
But there's another temple. Jewish, writer, Jewish readers that would pick this up would remember Jesus' words about the temple. Jesus, the first time Jesus cleansed the temple in John chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, he said, destroy this temple and I will raise this up in three days. The shock of that hit Jesus' audience. They said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? You're going to destroy something that took 46 years and it was 36 acres? John goes on to say, but the temple Jesus spoke about was his body and after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Fast forward that. People heard what Jesus said because when Jesus went to court in Matthew chapter 26, two witnesses came forward and said, this fellow pointing at Jesus, this fellow said, I'm going to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. So how does that relate? How does that relate? Paul, 20 years after Jesus died, writes these words. And notice the words that are circled. Circle them in your Bible. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit, God's spirit, dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. When I was in high school, I, made a, I had a shirt, a football jersey, and it used to fit me before Julie shrunk it, or I changed. I, you can decide which one. But my football jersey, I wish I would have kept it. It said this, property of Jesus Christ. Property of Jesus Christ. The temple is this, the Holy Ghost fills you. The Holy Ghost lives in you. We teach this to our children. We hear about this. It's elementary. But in our catechism, we ask this question. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? The work of the Holy Spirit is to call, to gather, enlighten, sanctify, and preserve. What does that mean? He sensitizes us to sin. He curbs evil. He tenderizes us. He stirs in you to repent. He comforts you. He helps you. He guides you. He transforms you. That's his plan. His plan is this. When you blow it, repent. Remember, the, the vernacular that we hear, this is better language. This is holy language. You are a holy version of Christ. Not a better version of yourself. We hear that all the time. And as a child of God, when the Spirit of God is in you, friend, He is making you like Him. That's the holy version. And when you blow it, repent. And say, man, I got a lot of work to do. I'll be honest with you, this week was a little convicting for me. Um, Julie said on Wednesday, she said, it's going to be a nice day today. The van is really dirty. You should get a van washed. And so I thought, yeah, you remember Wednesday was so pretty? So I thought, great, I'll go over the lunch period and I'll bring my sermon stuff. I can study in the van and all that kind of stuff. And I'm working on this message for you and I cut a guy off on the way to the car wash. Like, what am I doing? I can't believe it. It felt good for about two minutes, and then I realized what I was doing. And all this week, so by the way, if you have a Jeep and you are at Quick Trip, I owe you a cup of coffee, okay? So if that was any of you, I apologize. But the Lord taught me, son, you got you to repent and start over again. And he gives us clean slates.
His plan is this. It's been determined where you live, the people that you interact with, and he's given you his Holy Spirit. He calls you a temple, Sandra. He calls you a temple, my friend Betsy. A temple, Brian. A temple, Jeff. When you leave this place, you are a holy version of him. So what do we do? This is his plan and you're invited. You're invited to join with Jesus on his mission and take 10 minutes in your weekly life group. I used this illustration last week. I think it was helpful. I hope it was helpful. I mean, all of us are really busy, right? We got lots of stuff going on. I went to church and the pastor made me feel guilty. But really, now let's see how good I can do this and not spill on the floor. I'm in big trouble. Really, it's just about taking a drop. And it just changes everything, right? Right? That's what we're talking about. Just simple, simple practices. Simple practices that, that help us go to be aware so that we don't quit. Asking questions like, where is God working? What am I hearing from God? If you did this in your Bible study, oh man, I made a mess. Shh. Can you edit that from the screen here? And uh, oh man, am I in trouble. Well, it's not purple. Let me just say that. It's green. Oh, that would be great. That's the only thing you're going to remember now in this message, by the way. That's it. The rest of the messages kind of flew by. What would happen if we did that? If we did those five practices, not spilled green food coloring all over. Here's the second part of his plan, and you're invited to do this. On the back side of your bulletin, the insert there, there's a neighborhood prayer map. And you fill in the names, and you get to know people. Maybe you say, I don't know the people that are in my, in my neighborhood. Well, start to fill it in and be aware of that. Hudson Taylor, I've shared this quote before, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. And if you blow it, like if you cut someone off, repent. Say, God, have mercy. And move on. Don't quit. The last one's kind of fun. Throw a party, which produces a neighborhood environment. We're going to hear more, and there will be more resources that come from the Adult Ministries Committee. But... Um, and, and, and really, what this is about is that it's about doing good works that we learned about last week in Ephesians chapter 2.10. That God has prepared in advance good works for us to do. And on the back side of your bulletin, there are some ideas that came from Greg Finke's book on page 149 to 151. Just some intentional neighboring environments and then spontaneous neighboring ideas. Just take a look at those. Those might connect with you and not. But what I want to do is I want to give you some really practical things, some really practical things. So I thought, how do you invite people over to your house? Um, I'm, I'm a little hesitant on this, but, but I, think it's hes I think it's helpful. Um, Finky adds this formula, if you will, on how to build neighborhoods. And I think it's helpful if you understand the spirit, not in a manipulative way. I hope you hear that in my tone. But just consider that unhurried time plus proximity plus activity, usually including food, 
leads to conversations, doesn't it? And when you do that over time, friendships happen, trusts happen. So I thought about how can we do that? And so here's what, here's what I did. I collected four recipes. Maybe you're a person who say it's a little intimidating for me to throw a party. I don't know if I could do that. Well, can you make soup? I got four recipes, two from two really fun moms, one from a grandma who can cook, Diane Johnson, and then one from a guy who taught me how to smoke a turkey. And these recipes are there. You can pick up these recipes at the Welcome Center. They're not for you, but for you to share. Well, they are for you, but that's not you with a period. They're you and. So think about who could you bring really good soup over to? And then I talked last spring with a friend, and he said, let's do something. Let's sponsor some parties. Let's sponsor some parties. He said, I'll, I'll fund it, but these parties are for people in our church family to reach out to their neighborhoods. It's not parties that are funded for your life group. It's not parties that are funded for your Bible study. It's not parties for your, for your Christian friends. It's for you and maybe another person from Bethesda to throw a block party, to buy the meat, and do that. Hey, everyone wants spring to come. Amen? So you can start thinking and praying and invite another Bethesda couple to say, how can we do this together? Let me close with this. When I was in high school, I heard this. It came from an athlete this afternoon, most of us will probably watch the Super Bowl. And people will be talking about football. Well, this came from another athlete. His name was C.T. Studd. He was the youngest of three brothers. And he was an exceptional cricket player. He was an English minister. And he wrote this, this poem entitled, Only One Life. He says, two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will, fly, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and may the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Yes, only one life. Yes, only one. 
Now let me say that will be done. Then when at last I hear the call, I'll know I say twas worth it all. For only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's not waste our lives. Let's join Jesus on his mission. Amen.